Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I think this episode is going to be so fetch. (laughs) Oh my God, Mike, you're so right. I was just talking to some of the other girls in the canteen uh, earlier today and it's just, I couldn't believe what some of them are wearing, but yeah. It's going to be on fleek. Uh, Phil, I see, you are, uh, I see you are down with the kids' lingo. I'm impressed. Yeah, how, how do fellow kids? I, <laughs> what, what is up, awesome yeah. young people? Yeah, dippity-doo-dah, scoobity-doo, dippity-doo. I, I, I think we're probably fooling ourselves. We think a lot of young people listen to our podcast. Well, the ones that do are probably thinking, hey, yeah. They're like, hey, these two hep daddies really have yeah. it going on. These cats are really down with the latest beats. thank you this has been let's destroy our credibility with (laughs) phil and mike we'll see you next week anyway i was watching donald glover's new uh well childish gambino's new video for this is america it was very powerful Uh, Uh that came out just uh, yesterday i think or the day before and you know i'm down with it you're so woke phil oh totally yeah yeah for sure yeah all right well now that we have uh thoroughly embarrassed ourselves (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and tell people what we're talking about in this week's episode? Yes, we're going to be talking about our favorite films of 1964 and going after the endings of The Last Unicorn and Mean Girls. Yes, Mean Girls, which is, of course, where Fetch came from, which led us down that terrible, terrible rabbit hole. Okay, should we get right into it, Mike? Yeah, why don't we? Uh, Let's start things off with, uh, what do you think? Yeah, let's go with The Last Unicorn. So hit me up with what happens in that film. All right, well, The Last Unicorn, 1982, it's an animated film written and directed Directed by animation greats Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass. Stars the voices of Alan Arkin, Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, Angela Lansbury, and Christopher Lee. Oh, and it's based on the acclaimed novel by Peter Beagle, I should mention. Um, yeah. So, story goes, in an enchanted forest, a talking unicorn, played by Mia Farrow, learns that she is the very last of her kind. Oh. She finds out that a monstrous fire animal called the Red Bull herded her kind to the ends of the earth. She sets out to save them, but is captured and put in a circus. She is then rescued by a young wizard named Schmendrick, played by Alan Arkin, and eventually they are joined by a woman named Molly Grew. The Red Bull senses the unicorn, and in trying to save her, Schmendrick accidentally transforms her into a human, causing the Red Bull to leave. She takes on the name Lady Amalthea, and they find their way to King Haggard's castle, where the lady falls in love with his son, Prince Lear, played by Jeff Bridges. Amalthea, Lear, Schmendrick, and Gru set out to kill the Red Bull, but King Haggard tries to stop them. There's a battle in which the Red Bull kills Prince Lear, which enrages Lady Amalthea, who turns back into a unicorn and drives the Red Bull into the ocean, where he drove all the unicorns. The unicorns all come back in the waves, which makes more sense when you watch it, and they defeat the Red Bull, causing King Haggard's castle to fall and kill the king. The unicorn uses her magic to revive Prince Lear, and he sets off to start a new life, and then Lady Unicorn leaves Schmendrick and Molly Grew, now the only unicorn to know regret, mortality, and love. And that's the last unicorn. Very nicely done. 
Thank you. Thank you. So, Phil, are you a fan of this film as I am? Is it something you have a, a, a penchant for? I think I am. I think I saw it when it first came out back in the early 80s when I must have been, you know, nine or ten. Uh, so I, I vaguely remember seeing it uh, and I watched little bits and pieces of it when I was writing up what happened. But uh, I remember I must have enjoyed it at the time because I liked the bits I saw, but I need to rewatch it again. Right. Because right. I do like a bit of animated fantasy. Sure, sure. Yeah. I really, I, I love this film. It's um, It was definitely a big piece of my childhood. I've kind of been a fan ever since then. And it does have a very strong kind of cult following that I'm, I guess I'm a part of. Um, yeah. it, it is weird for those people who are like, they're going to hear this and be like, I should watch this with my five-year-old. There are some moments that are very bizarre. Uh, some creatures who are oddly human and naked in certain places. It's got some strange some strange parts to it, but it is a really <laughs> cool film, and I always thought the ending was was really neat, and uh, and I love the voice cast and stuff. So it, it's a cool film that I dig, but it's definitely a bit odd. Well, yeah, it's the early 80s. Animators you know, can do whatever cocaine. they wanted, so, yeah. Right, right. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, that's funk. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, lots of the, uh, those kind of things back then. All had some trippy moments where you go and, what were they thinking with this? Yeah, one? right, right, exactly. Yeah. Like you know, this is an animated film for kids, right? I'm not yeah. sure why you put that in there, but yeah, it's like it's, it's like they must have got in after you know a mad bender, you know, late at night going, oh, I'll tell you what, let's just do this. Right, you know what this tree needs? Breasts. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. You know, put, put breasts on everything. Right, right, right. Very, very strange, but uh, <laughs> well, anyway. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you at least uh, somewhat enjoy it. But uh, yeah, meanwhile, yeah. let's uh, let's jump into our endings then, Phil. Tell us what happens in your day after. Okay. The, the unicorn wandered through the woods. Her life had changed in so many ways. She had found out the other unicorns, but they would be forever apart. She could also feel the strange sensation of growing old creeping in. On occasion, she could sense the other unicorns, but the changes she had gone through meant she could no longer perceive them. Because of that, and not being able to be with Leah left her with a tremendous sense of loss. However... That just made the love she had for Leah and the unicorns all the stronger. She realised that you needed the bad times to go with the good. Elsewhere, deep in the forest, something dark had awoken. Ooh. That's okay. my day after. All right. I like it. Okay, then. What's uh, what's going on with your day after? All right. Well, the unicorn takes on the name of Thea and sets off to return to her enchanted forest. When she gets there, she's overjoyed to see that all of the other unicorns have returned safe and sound. But when she rejoins them, things are different. The other unicorns don't outright shun her, but they are distant to her. They avoid her when at all possible, and they never engage with her. After a few days of loneliness, she finally approaches another one of the unicorns. Why am I no longer accepted? Thea asks. The other unicorn hesitates, but eventually she gives an answer. It's because you're part human now. We can sense it. You've known love and fear and regret. You've taken a name when our kind has no use for names. We will always be grateful to you for saving us from the Red Bull, but you will never be Holy Unicorn again. I'm sorry. Thea is distraught over this, and with a flood of tears, she runs out of the Enchanted Forest. And that's my day after. Ah, oh, that's sad. All right, so Phil, go ahead then and tell us about your immediate aftermath. Okay, the Unicorn had spent the past few years wandering through the woods again. She often returned to a small village just on the outside of the woods. Her mortality meant that she now noticed the passing of time. She mainly saw this when watching the children of the village growing up. She was fascinated with the changes that time brought. She noticed the seasons pass by and felt the slight changes in her body as time progressed. The darkness in the woods began to move. And that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm, interesting. I was hoping we'd find out a little more about this darkness, but you're going to tease it out, I see. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. But what's going on with the... Uh... With yours, now that she's been shunned by the fellow unicorns. Well, it's been two years since the event that brought down his father's castle. Prince Lear wandered for a bit, then eventually found a town and settled down. 
For a while, he lived in anonymity, just trying to be a regular person. But when a band of raiders attacked the town, his training kicked in, and he led the townspeople to victory. With his identity revealed, he once again takes on a leadership role and finds himself a prince. But even though he rules peacefully and is well-loved by his subjects, he finds himself restless. After a few days of deliberation, he loads up his horse with supplies and sets off on a journey. He has little information to guide him, and there are a lot of hard days and nights to follow. But finally, some two months after he sets out, he finds what, or more to the point, who he is looking for. Schmendrick the Magician. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Interesting. I hope so. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job very well. <laughs> so, Phil, then go ahead and tell us about your long term. Okay. The unicorn had watched many of the children in the village grow up and have children of their own. On occasion, she was seen by some of the townsfolk, and she used some of her remaining magic to make sure that they had bountiful crops each year, so she was always seen as a good omen. Many years had passed, and now the unicorn could feel every one of them. She found it harder to get around, and her sight had begun to cloud over. The darkness in the woods had finally found her. The unicorn saw it, a large black stallion. Are you ready? asked the stallion. Yes, said the unicorn, but I'm scared. Many are, said the stallion, but I come for all at the end of their life. I promise everything will be fine. The unicorn nodded and followed the black stallion into the woods for her final journey. And that's uh, that's the last unicorn. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. I like how that turned. I was. I thought you know. I thought this, this darkness would be some big evil thing, but I like how it was just death. Thank you very much. Well, it is. Yeah. Death is the big evil thing as you're growing up. But then, when you reach the end of your life, you sort of go, "Well, let's right. see what it is." Yeah. No, I like that. Very powerful. Uh, Thank you. I'm I was impressed. quite pleased with that last little bit. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Okay. Well, that's mine. So, what's going on with yours then? Okay. Well, knowing that she wasn't welcome among her own people, Thea leaves the enchanted forest, but doesn't go far. Instead, she settles in a glade on the fringes of the magical woods, removed from her people, but still able to benefit from the magic that emanated from the forest. It's a lonely life, but Thea is able to make friends with the birds and the rabbits and other forest creatures. So while she misses her people, she finds a life that is, if not happy, at least acceptable. Then one day as the sun is rising, Thea looks up from the clearing she's grazing in to see the silhouette of another unicorn. Puzzled, Thea just stares for a moment, unsure why one of her people would come to visit her after all this time. When the unicorn steps into the clearing, Thea realizes that it's one she's never seen before. Their eyes lock, and after a long minute, the new unicorn finally says, Hello, Lady Amalthea. Prince Lear, she cries out, and rushes to <laughs> embrace him. But how? Schmendrick, he replies. He's a powerful magician now, and he granted me my truest wish, to be with you forever. And so Lady Amalthea and Prince Lear lived on happily, and as their family grew and grew over the years, they eventually rejoined the other unicorns and helped bring peace and magic to the land. Oh, that's lovely. And that's the end. Thanks. I had to go with kind of a bit of the fairy tale ending. I mean, I know it's a little bit on the, you know, the cheesy side, but it's kind of, you know, it's a happy fairy tale. Everyone, everyone gets true love in the end. Yeah, that that was lovely, Mike. Uh... I really like that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our endings for uh, The Last Unicorn. Phil, I think it's time for The Last Trivia. But it won't be The Last Trivia because we still have another movie to do in this episode. The second to last trivia. The second to last trivia. Just go with it. Okay. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill were considered for the role of Schmendrick. Uh, they used some of the original Godzilla roars for the Red Bull sounds when it uh, was doing all its tearing around and roaring. Uh, Christopher Lee turned up at the recording sessions with his own copy of the book with places marked for things that he felt could not be omitted from the film. Wow. Uh, and also, uh, Pete, author Peter S. Beagle, he turned up during uh, recording sessions when Christopher Lee was recording uh, a monologue about how unicorns brought him happiness, and Lee begged Beagle for his approval and was willing to re-record it if he didn't uh, approve of it. 
hmm. which is quite nice. Yeah. And apparently, uh, Jeff Bridges called co-director Jules Bass out of the blue and volunteered to do the film for free. Wow. Yeah. People like this film. People like this book. Yeah. You know, they just they yeah. love The Last Unicorn. I think the book probably touched a lot of people in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying drugs were involved, but uh, I'm sure <laughs> drugs were involved. Right. Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, don't do drugs. Strong. Okay, right. but that's, the, that's the last unicorn. Okay, so let's move on then to Mean Girls, which you could say is sort of a 2000s update of The Last Unicorn. You could say that. <laughs> okay, maybe not, but I don't know. It sounded good at the moment. Yeah, you could say that for any film. That's true. That I, is I like true. to think Avengers Infinity War right. is an updated version of Mean Girls. Yeah, Thanos is Rachel McAdams' character. Right, right. And he's just trying to sort out, you know, he just wants everybody to... Captain you know, America do. is is uh, Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, I can see oh, it. Obviously, yeah, 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 clearly. And Thor is Thor is Amanda Seyfried. Clearly, yeah. That's why I didn't mention it in the last episode because I just thought it was too obvious too obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was smart. That was smart. Yeah. All right. Well, Phil, do you want to take us through the events of the uh, most famous remake of the Last Unicorn? Yes. <laughs> yeah, two thousand and four's Mean Girls, play oh, directed by Mark Waters and written by Tina Fey who we all know is, uh, is rather famous for her writing and comedy and things like that. But we follow 16-year-old Katie Heron, played by Lindsay Lohan. Uh, she's been in Africa for 12 years with her parents as they're doing research, and she's been homeschooled. But they finally come back to the US, and she starts school at North Shore High and meets Janice Ian, played by Lizzie Kaplan, and Damien Lee, played by Daniel Fraziz. They warn her about the Plastics, who are the most popular clique, led by Regina George, played by Rachel McAdams, uh, and the group also includes Gretchen Wieners, played by... <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Gretchen Wieners. God damn you, God damn you Tina Fey, you genius. <laughs> uh, it includes Gretchen Wieners, played by Lacey Shabbat, and Karen Smith, played by Amanda Seyfried. Uh, the Plastics invite Katie to sit with them at lunch, and Janice sees this as a way of getting revenge on Regina. Through various twists and turns, Katie befriends the Plastics, then turns on them before realising she is becoming as bad as Regina. Uh, after all the shenanigans go on, including uh, a book which has all the secrets in that Regina had been keeping, gets released and goes on to school, uh, the principal gathers all the girls and they're forced to face the way they have treated each other. Janice confesses her plan to destroy Regina using Katie. Regina storms out of the school and is hit by a bus, which breaks her spine. But, but don't worry, kid, she gets better. Uh, Katie becomes an outcast, but makes amends with Regina and everything is resolved by the time the spring fling dance comes around. Uh, the following year, Regina joins the lacrosse team to deal with her anger issues. Karen is the school weather reporter. Gretchen has joined the cool Asians clique, and the plastics are no more. But a group of junior plastics begins, and Katie imagines them getting hit by a bus. And that's how we end it. It's like my spirit animal, this film, with all the people getting hit by buses. That's it. You and Tina Fey are, you know... Right? We're like peas in a pod, apparently. That's you don't like what it somebody, is. you take them out with a bus. Yep. Uh, for new listeners, you'll have to go back and listen to some previous episodes to find out what we're talking about. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole thing about buses that you'll, you'll yeah. pick up on. Uh, probably tried the Big Lebowski episode. There you go. The, 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 I think that's where it all started, yeah. Yeah, I think it did, yeah. Okay, then, but that's what happens in the film. Uh, mean Girls, Mike, what do you think of the film? I like it. I think it's a fun film. I mean, I know it's, yeah. it's gone on to be something of a, I guess they call it a cult classic, but it was a pretty big hit when it came out. So I don't know yeah, how yeah, that qualifies yeah. as a cult classic, but I, I guess it's just kind of remained popular. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a very funny film. Uh, I enjoyed him. Mean, obviously, he's got a ton of talent. A lot of the, you know, those actresses have all gone on to do really good things, except for Lindsay Lohan. Um, but, uh, you know, good supporting cast, a lot of fun. I mean, it's not, a, I don't think it's a, a classic or anything. It's not, you know, a movie that I feel the need to rewatch over and over again, but I like it. Yeah, it's a fun film. Yeah. And I've always liked Tina Fey, uh, well, when she's on, you know, on 30 Rock and Things, but her writing's always been pretty good. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. 
good film, yeah. Enjoyable film. Lots of definitely, fun. Definitely, definitely. But that's what happens in the film. What do you see happening after the ending, Mike? Okay, well, life returns to normal for Katie and her friends. The rest of senior year is a blur, punctuated by some memorable moments. For a while, she becomes friends with a girl who has the unfortunate nickname of Josie Grossy, but it turns out that she's an undercover reporter. Then there's her friend Carrie, who leaves school under mysterious circumstances. For a while, she dates a guy named Jim, but after an unfortunate incident with an apple pie, they break up. She even helps her friend Pedro get voted into the student council, but due to some voting irregularities, she's forced to go to Saturday school, where she briefly becomes friends with a jock, a nerd, a princess, a rebel, and an outcast. Then there was the day that everyone couldn't stop singing, like some kind of weird high school musical or something. <laughs> Eventually, Katie realizes that high school is just bizarre, and she decides not to get stressed out about anything anymore. And that's my day after. Oh, very good. I like that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I almost did something a bit similar throughout this, but I decided I was going to, and then I, th I was going... No, no, I can't. There'll be, there'll be too many. There's too many of them. I started right. looking over them all. Right. Going, no. Well, I'm Will, glad you but, didn't because that would have really sucked for an episode. <laughs> that, that would have been weird. But yeah. <laughs> if we had the exact same gag. No, I enjoy I like that. It's very funny. Thank you. Very good. All right. Well, let's hear what's happening then in your day after. Maybe hopefully with a little more substance than mine had. Uh, okay. Looking back on the previous year, Katie realizes how crazy and dangerous things have gotten. Now back to her old self, she focuses on her schoolwork. The whole school seems to be a lot calmer, with many of the cliques fracturing and intermingling. The junior plastics keep trying to make an impression, but everyone just seems to put up with them and just let them get on with what they're doing. Katie stays in the mathletes and they plan on winning the state championship for, uh, finals again. And she realizes she has a natural talent for mathematics and so she focuses on that. Regina becomes a positive role model to many in the school after her recovery from the accident and the way she has turned herself around. All seems back to normal at the school. And that's my day after. All right. I like it. I like it. What's going on then with yours? What other school movies have you got? I don't know what you're talking about. What other well, school movies? That's well, all. Those are all original plot points that I came up with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank yeah. you. Anyway. Well, maybe we, yeah, let's get this turned to a film then. Okay. Let's see how well we do. Yes. Let's do that. <laughs> all right. So Katie graduates high school and heads off to college. Once she gets there, she works hard to fit into college life. She tries joining an a cappella singing group, but the girls in it are just too intense for her. She hooks up with a guy named Van Wilder who's really good looking, but he's not interested in a long-term relationship. One of her best friends is a guy named Rudy who just wants to play football, but she doesn't think he'll ever set foot on a football field. <laughs> she runs across a fraternity run by middle-aged guys, hangs out with another guy who creates some computer program that will let friends keep up with each other on the internet, because that will work. That sounds crazy. Yeah. And she even joins a sorority with a Playboy Playmate. What? <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking, Mike? These are ridiculous ideas. I, I, they are, I know. By the end of her freshman year, she comes to realize that college is just as weird as high school, and that if she just relaxes and goes with the flow, life will work out okay. And that's my immediate aftermath. Cool. No, you are. It's it's funny. I've never thought of it before, but you, you are creating a school-college cinematic universe. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what we need, is 37 school and college comedies the, the connected. All connected. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what the world's been waiting for. Oh, no, no, I like it, though. I like what you're doing. All right, so meanwhile, what's going on then with your immediate aftermath? Well, I might touch on one film that you sort of referenced in yours. but was, All right, you fair know, enough. It was bound just, to happen. Yeah. Uh, the rest of school passed uneventfully, and before she knew it, Katie was heading off to college. Turned out Regina, Gretchen, and Janice were all going to the same college as her. Karen ended up joining the local TV news as their resident weather girl. While in college, Katie was approached by the a cappella group, but she thought that was silly, so passed on it. <laughs> there you go. 
Janice joined it and she loved it, but she always told Katie that it was totally lame and she was just doing it ironically. <laughs> That's cool. See, but it yeah. kind of fits though. Like you could see yeah, yeah. like Mean Girls and Pitch Perfect being in the same universe. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Regina majored in politics and it turned out her time as leader of the plastics and keeping secrets to manipulate people meant she excelled in the subject. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Gretchen blossomed in college. She became more confident and decisive. Once again, college passed as it should with lectures, parties, relationships, good times and bad but nothing as dramatic as their time in school. Through it all, the girls' friendship stayed strong. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, I like that. I like that they're, you know, that they're growing up and becoming friends. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. They've got, they had such an intense time in school. I think, yeah, bring yeah, them together. Definitely. I mean, it's not, as, it's not as deep and introspective as my ending, you know, well, which, obviously, obviously. which has really got some emotional punch to it. But I, but I, I like I, what you're doing anyway. I am. I am almost in tears. <laughs> okay then Mike what's going on with your long term well after four years of college Katie graduates with a degree in marketing she heads to New York City and gets her first job at a fashion magazine working for a woman who may as well be the devil herself <laughs> she quits that job and then starts a string of failed office jobs she works at one office where three women kidnap their boss but luckily she's cleared of any wrongdoing <laughs> Her next job is at a technology company, and that one goes well until the building explodes. She never does find out what happened to that weird guy with the stapler. For a while, she's stuck working in a convenience store, but after a dead body turns up in the bathroom, she never bothers to show up for that job again. She begins to get frustrated with how crazy life is and just wants to have things be normal for a change. Eventually, she ends up working at a music store called Empire Records, where she meets a lot of great people, all of whom have lives just as weird as hers, and she realizes that she finally feels at home. And that is the end of my least substantial after the ending ever in the history of this show. No, it's still very good, though, because it all works. Oh, thanks. But, I mean, I had fun with it, but there's definitely no no actual substance uh, to it at all. Well, well I, I've, I rather enjoyed it. But on a meta level, it shows how similar all of these films are and how you can take elements from one and put them in the other. Yeah, because none of it really is none of it's really out of place, you know? Yeah. And it's all basically what you've proven there is like the death of art and how film is meaningless. <laughs> well, yeah. you're welcome, cinema. Glad I could that's, do that for you. So, listener, that's we got you. You thought it was, you know, you know, just a piece of fluff with some cool movie references, but actually, it's been, you know, a major dissertation into how, you know, movie making is just uh, it's just falling apart. See that? I actually had that in the back of my head the whole time. Yeah, we planned this from yeah. like first episode. There you go. See? Yeah. <laughs> no i enjoyed that mike it was very funny thank you thank you all right well let's hear then how things wrap up in yours give us your long term uh katie died when a bus driver hit her <laughs> that would work though in yes, this it film would. it would yeah, work it would wouldn't it uh, no okay my long term it had been a few years since college and life had moved on katie got a job at nasa working on various projects her talent for mathematics had stood her in good stead she was now currently watching karen on tv Karen had been incredibly successful and was now a political correspondent on one of the major channels. When Katie had last spoken to her, Karen had confessed she never had a clue about the interviews and the people she was talking to, but she just asked questions to get, get it clear in her head as to what they were talking about. <laughs> that seemed to go down well with the viewers and everything was good. I like it. Yeah. The new interview was a must-watch for Katie as Karen was interviewing Regina, who was having a meteoric rise to the US government and was talking how she hoped to run for president one day. She'll probably do it, thought Katie. Her thoughts turned to the next day. She was having lunch with Gretchen. Gretchen was now a psychiatrist and was moderately successful. Then all of them were meeting up to see Janice perform that night. She was now a pop singer in a band and they had had a huge hit the year before and were now on a sellout tour. Katie loved the name of the band, Mean Girls. <laughs> nice. 
That's great. Thank you very much. That's great. I love it. Thank you. That's a terrific. I like the way you wrapped it up for all the characters, which is obviously something I didn't do, but that was that was really. Oh cool. well, there's still a lot of few characters I missed out, but yeah, that's. Uh, that's well, no, uh, but I mean, you know, you 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 carried the storyline through for all the main yeah. characters, and I thought oh, that was great. You, yeah, and I, yeah. and I, I love that the name of the band is Mean Girls. Very cool. Yeah, it had to be, had to be. But uh, yeah, there we go. That's uh, Mean Girls. I like it. All right, so that's Mean Girls. Phil, do you have any mean trivia for us? Yeah, get lost, Mike. That was rubbish. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Yeah. No, okay. Yes, some trivia from Mean Girls. Uh, Amy Poehler was only seven years older than her on-screen daughter, Rachel McAdams. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, it was Amanda Seyfried's first film role. Tim Meadows, who plays Mr. Duval, broke his hand before shooting the film and had to wear a cast, so they said his character had carpal tunnel syndrome. Hmm. Uh, Janice Ian's name was in, was in reference to the musician of the same name who was the first uh, Saturday Night Live musical guest. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, I, obviously I recognised the name, I didn't know if it was coincidence or what. So. Well, I, I quite like that, and I think it was also uh, Tina Fey's first screenplay. Very cool. That's Mean Girls. Okay, well, those are our endings for The Last Unicorn and Mean Girls. So now it's time to move on to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. But before we do that, we have just a quick uh, notice from a sponsor. We want to mention one more time our friend Calvin, the author's audiobooks, uh, is the name of a podcast. It is a storytelling slash audiobook podcast from Calvin, the author. And he tells uh, a piece of his story every week. And as you listen, it forms one giant audiobook story. Uh, which is a great way to get a free audiobook. We all love audiobooks, but, you know, let's face it, they're expensive. And I know you've heard the ads for that company on every other podcast on the planet. Well, we're not advertising for them. We're advertising for a free podcast that you can listen to, and it will tell you one really cool story that I have read the whole thing of, so I know how it ends, and it's really good. Um, so the first story is called Eternal Night, and it is really, really cool. You've listened to this podcast yourself now, Phil, right? I have. It's, uh, it's enjoyable. I've been enjoying the episodes, and I like the way the story's developing. There you go. So uh, so Calvin wants you all to check it out. We would love for you to check it out. Show him some love. It is free to subscribe on iTunes or any of the places that you listen to your podcast. Tell Calvin we sent you. Leave him some reviews. Download some episodes. Subscribe. Uh, it's called Calvin the Author's Audiobooks. It's a free audiobook. How can you go wrong with that? And it is really good. So check it out. Yes. Do it. All right. Now, moving on, it's time for 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein Phil and I take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 films from that year. This week, we are talking about 1964. So, Phil, climb in that famous time machine of yours and take us back to those grooving 60s and tell us what life was like. Sure will, daddy <laughs> Yeah. Okay, 1964, the, the British Prime Minister was Harold Wilson, who then tagged in Alec Douglas home. Over in the U.S., the president was Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, we had the Vietnam War going on, and there were quite a few race riots, uh, sadly. But uh, let's move on to other things. Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General, Luther Terry, reported that smoking may be hazardous to one's health, which was the first official statement from the U.S. government. John Glenn resigned from NASA and announced he will seek the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senator of Ohio. He then, uh, a few months later, fell in the bath and banged his head and then decided to withdraw bit weird, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah, Roald Dahl published Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, plans to build the World Trade Center in New York City were announced. The Beatles hit number one in the US with I Want to Hold Your Hand, and they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Uh, Sidney Poitier was the first African-American to win an Oscar. Uh, it was Best Actor for Lilies of the Field. In the UK, BBC Two started broadcasting. Thieves stole the head of the Little Mermaid statue in Copenhagen. Who steals a head? Seriously. Now she's now she's the littler mermaid. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't she taller? <laughs> Nelson Mandela was sentenced to life imprisonment and bewitched. 
The Adams Family and Johnny Quest debuted on various TV channels. Uh, we also saw the births of Nicolas Cage, Jane Horrocks, Penelope Ann Miller, Bridget Fonda, Laura Linney, Matt Dillon, Juliet Binoche, Rob Lowe, David Cross, Russell Crowe, Andy Serkis, Sandra Bullock, Keanu Reeves, Monica Bellucci, Guillermo del Toro and Don Cheadle. And we sadly saw the deaths of Alan Ladd, Harpo Marx and Cole Porter. And that's 1964. All right. Very cool. All right, very good. Uh, so that's what happened that year. But uh, what's your what's your first film on the list, Mike? All right. Well, we know sometimes I'm not always, uh, uh, you know, as deep into the movies of the '60s and and before that I'd like to be. I I have seen enough films this this year, uh, but there's a few on here that I don't have a ton of memories of. I've, the ones I remember from when I was a kid. But yeah, uh, my yeah. first couple, I think, all fall under that category. But number ten for me is First Men in the Moon. It is a science fiction film about a journey to the moon, and then yeah. they discovered some people have been there before, and mainly what makes it notable is that Ray Harryhausen was involved in the special effects. Of course, he's legendary, and I loved his movies when I was a kid, and this is one of them. Uh, but I, I can't say I have... Uh, I've seen it recently, so that's why it's my number 10. No, good pick. Uh, it's actually... My number 10 is a double whammy, and that's that's one of them. Oh, there you go. As you say, it's uh, it's uh, Ray Harryhausen. That, that's a film that's uh, used to be on TV all the time, it seemed, when I was a right, kid. Right, right, yeah. And the other one is uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, uh, which starred Paul Manti and Adam West, and... Barney the Woolly Monkey. There you go. That one but, almost uh, made my list too because I'm pretty sure I saw it yeah. when I was a kid, but I couldn't remember it. Yeah, as and much. I I always I always liked that one as, as as the title suggests. It's set in the future sci-fi, but it's just basically Robinson Crusoe. This this astronaut gets stranded on Mars and then has to survive. Very good. And that's my number ten. All right. Well, my number nine is Hey There, it's Yogi Bear, which is a, a, an actual <laughs> movie about Yogi Bear. And um, Hey Boo Boo. That's right. I loved Yogi Bear when I was a kid. He was one of my favorite cartoons, actually. Yeah, I so, liked him, yeah. Um, yeah. I liked this movie a lot when I was young. Uh, I'm sure it still holds up as kind of a funny classic animation. I don't know that it's great cinema, yeah. but it's a fun film, and I, I do still have a soft spot for Yogi Bear. So that's my number nine. A good choice. Uh, my number nine is a, a Hard Day's Night, which features a little band called... The Beatles, I think it's called. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, the Beatles, but it's them basically sort of, it's like a comedic telling of like a, you know, a day in the life of what's going on with them. And they go on a train trip, do all that. You've seen it, black and white, but uh, quite funny. Loads of uh, cameos and it's and all of the band that do a pretty good job in it. But that's uh, my number nine. Good pick. All right. Well, my number eight is uh, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, starring Don Knotts, which is sort of a hybrid live action animation film. Um, and, you know, uh, he, he wants to become a fish and he falls into the water and becomes a fish. And then he journeys around, and does fishy things. Um, it was kind of a big hit back in the day, as I recall. I mean, I wasn't alive yeah. in 1964, but my understanding is that it was a pretty popular film. And again, it was on all the time when I was a kid. Uh, and I thought it was really great as a kid, but I have not watched it as an adult. So a lot of my my, my first four four picks or so are, are nostalgia picks, and that's one of them. Yeah, I'd heard of that film, but I know I'd never seen it, but I wasn't really sure. Oh, it's sure. kind of fun, actually. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a fun yeah. film. But again, I don't know how it holds up in terms of if you're going to watch it as an adult and be like, hey, this is great. Okay. I'm sure it'll turn up on TV at some point. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, my number eight is uh, Jacques Demy's film, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg which is a musical romance drama kind of film starring Catherine Deneuve, all about uh, a woman and her daughter, played by Deneuve, who have an umbrella shop in Cherbourg, and it's she falls in love with, peop, uh, with this man, and things happen, music happens, it's a beautiful song, it looks amazing. You've probably seen it referenced in other films without realising it, but uh, yeah, it's a classic piece of... Uh, well, I actually think it's French and German, is the production. But anyway, yeah, it's a great, uh, great European movie. Very cool. And Catherine Deneuve is always... 
uh, great to watch. Indeed. Good pick. Okay, my number seven is Father Goose, starring Cary Grant and Leslie Caron. Uh, and it's about uh, a guy on, who lives isolated on an island during World War II and uh, ends up through circumstances kind of taking charge of this female teacher and a group of her all-female students. And it's it's a comedy, kind of a broad comedy uh, with a little bit of, you know, romance and stuff, of course. And another one that, you know, I always loved Cary Grant, so I watched all the movies I could get my hands on of his when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and this one is more of a more of a family film because there's a lot of kids involved and stuff. So it's, it's silly fun, but I, I enjoyed it a lot when I was young. Uh, again, haven't seen it in a long time, but that, it makes my list at number six. Yeah, I know I've seen bits of that one, but I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. But yeah, oh, Carrie Grant's always great to watch. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, my number seven is a Roger Corman film. It's The Mask of the Red Death, uh, starring Vincent Price, and it's based on uh, the story by Edgar Allan Poe. It's spooky, it's scary, it involves Satanists, and they have a big party, and everybody's in costume, and then there's this figure walking through, and people die. And Vincent Price is cool. <laughs> there you go. My number seven. That's all you need to yeah. know. All right. That's exactly. Okay. Well, my number six is My Fair Lady, starring Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of over the top when you watch it now. I mean, her her like accent is really super broad and you know big, oh, God, bigger yeah. than life. And it's it's a little bit it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit much the film I'll say. But I do like it. I love Audrey Hepburn. She's so so talented and. Um, you know, it's it's a kind of a great story. The is the original, if you will, not the original, but kind of you know in modern cinema, the sort of the first like uh, you know she's all that type of. I didn't really mean to just compare my fair lady to the, she's all that, but I'm trying to frame it in a reference people will catch. You know, the taking the taking the girl on a bet and turning her into a high society, you know, success story yeah, type of thing. Yeah. So, um, so that's my number six, my fair lady. Yeah, my number six is my fair lady as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, as you say, it's it's a great. Good musical um audrey hepburn's great uh, i think she was du- she didn't actually sing it though did she she was dubbed i believe that's correct was. yeah yeah which and it's weird because the original stage play uh, originally had rex harrison in that and julie andrews right and for right. some reason they didn't get i can't remember why they didn't have julie andrews in the role because you know she could do it all but yeah my fair lady you've all you'll know a lot of the songs even if you you don't realize it very good pretty decent musical and it's uh, not often a musical makes my list. Yeah, right, exactly. So with this and the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is sort of a musical. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, kind of what that kind of what the '60s had a lot of it, you know. Yes, yes, <laughs> very true. All right. Well, my number five is A Shot in the Dark, which, if you don't recognize the title, is one of the Pink Panther movies. It's the second Pink Panther movie, actually, and stars Peter Sellers, of course. Uh, And I've mentioned these films before. I think they've made my top ten list two or three times before now. Uh, And so this one is no different. I I like the Pink Panther films. I find them very funny. Um, They all sort of tend to blend together for me, so I can't (laughs) go into too many details about it. But uh, it's it's fun, and you know this is still when the series was good before it kind of tailed off at the end. Yeah, and uh, my number five is also a shot in the dark. Wow, we're on we're on the same page this week, huh? Yeah, yeah. Three three matchups we've had it hasn't been like that for a yeah, while. I do remember this one. It's, it, this was the one where where Herbert Lom's uh, police chief goes crazy throughout the film and gets mis- gets worse and worse because of uh, Inspector Clouseau. But right, yeah, uh, very funny. Peter Sellers' Inspector Clouseau was a classic, and I always liked the fights he had with Cato. Right. Yeah, so that's number five. And critically, I believe a lot of critics sort of list this as the best of the series. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's the one that doesn't have the Pink Panther in the name. Uh, but yeah. it is, I think, most widely regarded as the best film in the series. Yeah, because the first one's, first one's pretty good, but this one sort of it just it, 
it's very just it's cut everything cut all the the chaff out of it it's just focusing on the comedy and the right the setup and everything it's really it's really good right exactly my number four is a fistful of dollars starring clint eastwood and directed by sergio leone and of course is part of the man with no name trilogy mm-hmm. and i think that's probably most of what i need to say about it i mean it's you know it's clint eastwood in the films that made him famous it's the spaghetti westerns the classics uh everyone knows the theme song and everything and uh yeah that's my number four and i have a feeling that we're going to hear more about it uh shortly well yeah we might do yeah. <laughs> uh my number four is a stanley kubrick film it's dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb good pick yeah which is a great uh black comedy which does go to very dark places but is very very funny all the more because of it uh, it's, it was one of those films where it was always, when I was growing up, it was always, you know, reading about it, it was always referenced and things, and I'd always go, oh, that sounds a bit, I don't, yeah, I'm not going to bother with that one, you know, trying to be all, well, why should I, you know, just because people say it's good, it can't be that good. And then when I finally did sit, sit down and watch it, I just laughed all the way through, but also felt, a, a, you know, a deep sense of despair. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the futility of existence and man because of how how stupid people can be but it's a very funny film well see phil i am exactly you all the way up to the point where i actually watched the film because i i haven't i haven't <laughs> i own it and i still yeah, haven't yeah. gotten around to watching it yet and i keep meaning to but i just i haven't gotten there yet so i i will yeah it's funny how you get some films like that where you get it in your head you're going well why should i watch it right right and then when you do sit down and watch it, you're going damn i wish i'd watched this a long time ago it's it's yeah it's one of those ones where i'm like i know it's a super well-loved film and it just i look at it and i go ah, i don't know if i'm in the mood for this you know so i always put it off yeah I have a good pick, good pick. I'm not surprised that made it on your list. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it when you do get to watch it. Well, good, good. Well, my number three is a film that is almost as widely regarded, but in a very different way. <laughs> and it is Mary Poppins, uh, which, of course, is a Disney classic. I don't I'll know. Just, I'll just add in, my number three is also Mary Poppins. Oh, there you go. All right, 1964 you for the win. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's a classic. It's great. Julie Andrews is phenomenal. The music is great. It's got the animated sequence in the middle. It's got Dick Van Dyke with his accent, which, you know, I always loved as a kid, but apparently it's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing ever. Uh, it's yes. a great family yes. film, and it holds holds up really well. My daughter loves it. Uh, she just watched it for the first time a year or two ago, and she thought it was great. So uh, it's a really fun film, and it's a classic for a reason. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. My daughter also loves it. It's aged supremely well, considering. I think because it's set, you know, it was set further in the past anyway, so that's one of the reasons yes, why. Yes, agreed. It's just, it holds up really well. Anyway, that's, that's our number three. All right, mm-hmm. well, uh, my number two could be your number two, but we'll see. Uh, it is... No surprise here, a James Bond film, and it is Goldfinger. And it's my number two as well. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, Goldfinger. Sean Connery is James Bond. It's a classic. It's one of the best Sean Connery films, I, I think, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and one of the best Bond films as well. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, yes, we, yes. <laughs> we all know I'm a huge James Bond fan, so no surprise yes. that this made it on my list. And uh, when I looked at the other films for the year, uh, it, it's not a surprise it made it that high. Uh, But there is one film still left that I like a little bit better, and we'll get to that in a Mm. minute. But yes, Goldfinger, Mm. number two for both of us. Okay. I mean, any film that can get a character called Pussy Galore in it and get away with it. (laughs) You got to like that. Yeah. And also, Odd Job was cool. Yeah. So many This Goldfinger really has so many iconic Bond moments, which which just, I think it influenced you know, many of the, the Bond films afterwards. I think it really did help kind of set the tone and sort of set the path for the, the kind of the James Bond formula. Yeah, yeah. But uh, lots, lots of great moments, and it's one of those ones where when it comes on TV, no matter at what point when you turn over, it's uh, you just end up sitting and watching it. I find. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, that was uh, that was my number two. So where we're we to now? 
Your number one. My number one, which I know is not your number one, because A, I think I figured out what your number one is, and B, Mm -hmm. my number one has already appeared on your list, but it was way lower down on the list, and it is A Hard Day's Night. Ah, I thought it might be. Yeah, and here's the thing. Now, obviously, I mean, I'm a humongous Beatles fan, um, which is not unique to me. Obviously, the Beatles are the most popular (laughs) band in the history of the world, but here's the thing. Uh, So, I mean, I love it because it's the Beatles, and, and I'm a big fan, but I think that A Hard Day's Night is actually just a really really funny, great film on its own merits. Whether you like the Beatles or not, I think you can watch it as a comedy. And if you don't mind that they break out into song once in a while, it holds up as just a really funny film. Like there's so many great lines and great moments and their personalities are so enjoyable. Um, So to me, that's what makes it so great is that it's not just great if you're a Beatles fan, but it's great if you're not one. And I think that film is part of why I'm a Beatles fan because it was one of the first things I ever watched with them in it. Um, So so that's why it's my number one um, because I just think it's a great film on its own but also i love the beatles so those two things combined makes it a, a pretty easy pick for me i know an excellent choice it is as i think you hit the nail on the head it works as a movie as well not just because of the band right right exactly yeah. Yep. yeah and i mean just over the water i can nip on the train i can go to you know all the places where the beatles played and things like that it's, yeah uh, actually just i was over the weekend uh just went for a walk with my daughter and we went uh to port sunlight and there's this place like a hall and it's uh, the beatles played there uh, back in the day, and it's got a plaque on the wall saying that was where Ringo Starr debuted with the Beatles. Wow, so that's, that's, that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I knew uh, I knew it would be on your list. Uh, I wasn't sure whether it'd be number one, but I knew it'd be high up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not a surprise pick for my top two, but you know, yeah. but but I've, I've I have to, they had to be an excellent choice. Thank you. All right. Well, I think oh. I know your number one, but let's go ahead and, and hear the reveal anyway. Yes, my number one is a fistful of dollars. I had a feeling. Yeah, because it's it's cool. It's <laughs> yeah. an unofficial remake of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which was my number one film of 1961. That's right. Uh, which, because it was unofficial, uh, they got sued for making A Fistful of Dollars, uh, but uh, luckily it still got released. Uh, it's a great film. It's, it's so iconic. It's Again, it's set up so many so many other moments and, and films that followed on for it. It's also been remade a few times, officially and unofficially, or it's been referenced in many other things. But yeah. Clint, Clint Eastwood was just amazing. The whole look and feel of it was was so different to, to you know, westerns that we'd seen before you know getting these getting the european westerns on the big screen and made them more popular and suddenly people were seeing these this kind of film being made which they'd never seen before and you're just getting these these dark tales about anti-heroes going around and doing dark things but you're still rooting for them yeah yeah it's a it's a clever thing to be able to do but uh Clint Eastwood was just born for the role oh, yeah. and made it his own immeasurably. Yeah. For sure, for sure. All right. that is You can't beat that for number one. That's for yes, sure. Yes, yes. So oh, we, and also, yeah, the following year, 1965, was also my number one film was for a few dollars more. So there we go. There you go. Yeah, that's why that's why I wasn't surprised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we had a lot. We had a lot of similar. We had what, four or five that were at the yeah, exact same yeah. position even. So. Which is pretty cool. The fact yeah. we're in the same place, yeah. We were on the same wavelength for this year, apparently. Yeah, we finished each other's sentences. Yeah, I was thinking sandwiches. <laughs> we have done that too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's 1964, and that is our episode. Before we go, though, Phil, why don't you tell people what they can expect from us next week? Next time, we're going to be going after the ending of Bull Durham and the Manchurian Candidate, the original 
version of the film. Um, we'll be doing our top 10 favorite films of 1998. Yeah, should be a fun episode. I will say this. If you haven't seen the original Manchurian Candidate, but you've seen the remake, I think the endings will still work just fine because it's pretty. It's a pretty straight yeah, remake yeah. in terms of the overarching plot and the events. That's true. So, uh, I mean, obviously, the, the original Manchurian Candidate is a great film, so you should watch it if you haven't seen it. But if you've seen the remake, you'll be doing just fine when we do our endings. A little public that's, service uh, that, announcement for you. Yeah, that's next time. Yes, it is. All right, so that's gonna that's gonna take us out of here. Uh, as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring, and I'm Phil Edwards, and we'll see you next week after the ending. Hello, and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring, and I'm Phil Edwards. Are you sure? I was just, I was suddenly, what are you doing now? All, all I can think of is what we do at the end of the episode. And I was suddenly going, I was thinking, what do I say now? I was going to say, uh, after the ending. And I was going, no, that's not right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, you have. There you go. You can always, always count on Pervy Yoda to pull us out of a bind. Yeah. Uh, well, don't say that to Pervy Yoda. <laughs> He's more interested in, in getting you in a bind. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. Any similarity to other characters out of certain sci-fi sagas is purely coincidental. Right, right. Exactly. That's uh, Yoda spelled Y-O-T-A-H. Yota. Yes. <laughs> Aside from Dolph Lundgren, the main actors were Brian Ben-Ben and Betsy Brantley, which is a lot of bees. <laughs> yeah. It certainly is. She realized that you needed the bad times to go with the good. Elsewhere, take the deep good in the times. You take the bad yeah. times. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's it. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Sorry about the Chumbawamba there. I always throwing a bit of Chumbawamba. You're, you're like, I'm crafting art here, and you jump in with Chumbawamba. Come on, man. Well, tell you what, Mike. If I get knocked down, I'm just going to get back up again. <laughs> you're never going to keep me down. Why am I no longer accepted? Thea asks. It's you're not because- woke. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We only like woke uniform unicorns. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All I can think of every time we say the Red Bull is it's like, you saved us from that terrible energy drink that tastes like yeah, urine. That's, that's what I was like when I was thinking. <laughs> uh, it gives you wings. The Red Bull will not only destroy you, but it'll also cause you to have massive cavities and it'll turn your pee green. Yeah, and you're not going to sleep. Right. It'll destroy your liver. The Red Bull take out the unicorns by destroying all their livers. It's a slow, it's a long game. You know, he's playing the long con. Well, I'll tell you, I had to rewrite this part because for the longest time, I thought we were doing the last uniform. And I I had a whole different thing going about a delivery guy and stuff. And it was, then I finally realized we were doing the last unicorn. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, None none of that is true. I thought we were doing the last unitard. (laughs) It's all about a a big wrestler. It's not a unitard. It's a singlet. Yeah, but then I I did this one. It was a total spelling mistake on my part. It was going to be like a Transformers one for the last unicorn. (laughs) Well, I don't even want to tell you. I had a really good story, a Halloween story worked out for the last candy corn. (laughs) um, But I I had to scrap it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I had a real dark one. It was going to be the last Unabomber. I thought that was a bit too much. Jeez. Way to to go dark, Phil. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the ending was explosive, though. <laughs> oh, man. Now I know why we don't get paid for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so tell us what's going on with the last unibrow. <laughs> so what's going on then with your immediate aftermath and the, the shunned unicorn? Well, the last unicycle was very sad once the circus <laughs> left town. I'm sorry. <laughs>
<laughs> uh, what happened to the darkness? Oh, anyway, we'll get to it. Worst MacGuffin ever. <laughs> yeah. All right. So give us the uh, give us the long term. I tell you about my idea for like a like a, a a movie detective series with two private eyes named Mac Guffin and Red Herring. <laughs> I think that'd be cool, right? <laughs> was, the sad part is I wasn't entirely joking, but, but then you started laughing. And I was like, oh, I guess I am joking. Everyone everyone gets true love in the end. But it's, it sort of gets me the uh, it's like a CSI moment with a with you know you could say Prince Leo was horny. I take my sunglasses off and then. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> uh, vagina? No. Uh, yeah, saying vagina, Phil. <laughs> get your mind out of the gutter. Bad enough, we got Gretchen Wieners. Vagina, Phil. That's another character we can't have on here. <laughs> uh, what does that say? one? What does that one yeah. even sound like? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi everybody. Hi everybody. I'm Vagina Phil. This is the worst tangent we've ever gone off on. Welcome to the party, pal. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know if I can use that in the outtake. No, me neither. Okay, then, Mike. What's going on with your long term? Well, Katie gets cancer and dies. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I'm trying to trying to get some. That's a terrible thing I to joke about. I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> I know. I don't mean that cancer's funny. I'm, I was just trying to get not, some yeah. emotional heft. I'm not laughing at what happened with it, just the way it was so unexpected. Right, right. Side okay. note, then. So now she's Dr. Wieners. <laughs> oh my no oh yes she is because yes I can Dr. Yeah, Wieners Dr. Wieners which sounds oh like a, sounds like some kind of movie that we probably couldn't do an after the ending for <laughs> I hadn't thought of that to be honest uh, Dr. Wieners I'm afraid I don't have money for my copay today is there any other way I could pay you <laughs> actually when you're doing that I'm just going to nip to the loo okay go ahead yep now usually I'm always the one who has to get up for something while we're recording. And so I go off and do something and Phil talks about things like Blue Mange or, you know, whatever other random thing pops into his head. But now Phil's gotten up to leave the recording, which I think is the first time that's ever happened in the history of the show. So it's my turn to talk. And you would think like, hey, this is the perfect moment for some some revenge. I can finally get Phil. Um, and I have nothing nothing at all to say it's, it's a complete waste this could be brilliant uh but unfortunately as you've probably figured out by now it's it's not it's not brilliant i think he's coming back and i wasted it came back next time on after the ending we're going to be going i'm going to say after the end <laughs> <laughs> shot myself in the foot there <laughs>